Good morning, friends. Today's message is the power of feeble faith. And this is how Luke eight forty two to 48 tells the story. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding around and pressing around you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You know, this story had captured the heart and soul and the imagination of the early church. It's been told and retold so often that it eventually found its way into three of the four Gospels. In the Greek church, her name was Bernice. In the Coptic and Latin church, it was Veronica. Eusebius said that she was a Gentile from Caesarea Philippi, and that when she returned home after healing, she erected a statue of Jesus in her front yard. Now, all of these things kind of amount to interesting speculation, but none of them are verifiable. They do, however, point out the hold this story had on the first century church. Now, what we really have here is a miracle within a miracle. In all three accounts, Matthew 9, Mark 5, Luke 8, this miracle takes place within the context of the raising of Jairus' daughter kind of happened like this. One day Jesus was teaching in one of the villages along the Sea of Galilee. A man named Jairus came begging Jesus to come to his house and heal his 12-year-old daughter. Now, as Jesus began to walk with Jairus toward the house, hundreds of people began to press in upon him, many of them no doubt hoping for their own cure, many others listening to every word he was saying, still others attracted just by the commotion. The scene must have been chaotic and confusing. I mean, Jairus on one side of Jesus tugging at his slave and saying, Hurry, Lord, my daughter is dying. The disciples kind of going ahead like uh, his entourage or his bodyguards. Hundreds of eager people pushing and milling through these tight little Judean streets, shouting, stretching out their arms to touch him as he passes by. Well, meanwhile, totally unnoticed, a frail, stooped, sickly woman pushes her way through the throng. Her face is partially covered so no one will recognize her. Her arms are thin, her hands shake as she stretches them toward Jesus. Now she's only a few feet away and in this crowd no one notices as she reaches out to touch the blue and white tassel on the corner of his cloak. Now the Bible is not not specific about her problem and the translators handle it in different ways. The King James Version said she had an issue of blood for 12 years. Modern translations speak of a hemorrhage of blood. Most commentators agree that it was some kind of chronic uterine bleeding. Whether continually or periodic, it was not normal. And in those days, there was no cure for that condition. But you know, that's not really the worst of it. In Leviticus 15, verses 29 to 27, it contains certain regulations for women with an uncontrollable flow of blood. It basically says that such women are to be considered unclean and defiled as long as that flow continues. Furthermore, anyone who touched a woman like that would find themselves unclean and defiled. So in a practical sense, this meant that this poor woman had become an outcast. By the law of Moses, this woman was not allowed to touch any human being, and no human being was allowed to touch her. 
the law demanded that a woman suffering in this way should be segregated. So for 12 years, this woman had been excommunicated from the temple and the synagogues was not, and, no, and was, not, was no doubt divorced from her husband if she were married, shut off from her family, ostracized by society, treated as a pariah. She had endured incurable illness, social isolation, constant pain, financial poverty, and personal humiliation. You know, it's hard to imagine a more pitiful situation. In the words of one writer, she had been among the living dead for 12 long years. But now at last, Jesus had come to her village. In Mark's version of the story, he includes one detail that Luke omits. Mark 5.26 notes that this woman had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. kind of wonder why Luke left that detail out. Maybe it was just because he was a doctor and he didn't want to make his own profession look bad. But whatever. Actually, that verse does not imply that the doctors back then were a whole bunch of quacks. What it means is that they simply did not have any effective treatments for this kind of chronic hemorrhaging. As a matter of fact, the ancient Talmud lists several cures for this problem. It's kind of interesting. One of them is drinking a goblet of wine containing a powder composed of rubber, alum, and garden crocuses. Another one is eating personed onions cooked in wine administered with the words, Arise out of your flow of blood. Or third, carrying the ash of an ostrich egg in a certain cloth. Well, with cures like that, it's no wonder that this woman was not getting any better. It's also no surprise that she had been to many doctors and had spent all of her money. For 12 years, she suffered from this issue of blood, and so her prognosis was pretty grim. And without a miracle, there was no hope. But now, at last, Jesus had come to her village. And the word spreads like wildfire. He's here. Who's here? Well, Jesus, that man from Nazareth who heals the sick, he came to town and Jairus is talking to him. With that, this poor woman makes the decision that somehow, some way, she must get through to see Jesus. If only she could touch him. You know, maybe there was a little bit of superstition in her faith. Maybe she thought there was some magic in his clothes. I mean, in her mind, she thinks, if I can just reach out and touch the hem of his garment, perhaps that will be enough. And in truth, her faith was immature, it was incomplete, it might be what we call feeble. Yet it and it's mixed with a kind of folk magic. But it was enough to make her risk public rejection. It was enough to make her reach out with a sickly hand to the Son of God. But you know, there's something else at work here. She did not speak to him, no doubt, because she was embarrassed and ashamed of her condition. After 12 years of public humiliation, she would not risk exposure in the taunts of the crowd. She thought to simply touch him, receive her healing, and then slip away unnoticed. After so many years, she was used to coping with life that way. And now she reaches out and touches Jesus. The older versions of scripture speak of the hem of his garment. Now, this is certainly an acceptable translation, but the Greek word probably refers to one of the four tassels that all Jewish men wore on their outer garments. In Numbers 15, verses 37 to 41, it specified that tassels must be sewn on the four corners of the cloak, and each must contain a blue thread. The tassels were kind of visual reminders to obey God's commandments, and no matter the design of the cloak, at least one of the tassels would always hang from the back of the wearer. It was probably that tassel that the woman touched as Jesus walked by. Well, the 
text is clear on what happened when she touched the tassel. I mean, two different words are used. She immediately, verse 44, and instantly, verse 47, is healed. The text even specifies that at the moment she touched the, hassel, the tassel, the bleeding stopped. I mean, this is a huge miracle, friends. Jesus is going the other direction. Jairus is tugging and talking and crying at the same time. Meanwhile, the crowd is so tightly packed in the narrow alleyways that you could hardly breathe, much less move. The disciples are trying to do crowd control, but are kind of swept along with the flow. No one sees this wretched woman off to the side. No one notices as she elbows her way to the center. No one pays attention as she reaches out to her, ha- her hand. No one speaks to her, and she speaks to no one. But here comes Jesus. I mean, it seems that he does not even notice this woman as she passes by her hand, brushes the tassel. Now, something like an electrical shock moves from her fingers to her hand, up her arm, into every part of her body. Not electrical, but the infusion of some mighty power with which she was not familiar. You know, and in less time than it takes to tell it, her her weary arteries, her shrunken veins, her diseased organs, her withered muscles, her shattered nerves were filled again with health and life and strength. The disastrous decay of 12 years is instantly halted and then reversed. She is well again, healthy again, whole again. And she immediately turns to go, not ungrateful, but fearful, lest she call attention to herself and respectful of the greater work Jesus must do. She must bother him, and maybe with a smile on her face, the first real smile in a long time, she returns to go home. But just at that moment, Jesus stops, turns, surveys the crowd, and says, Who touched me? It seemed to Peter and the other disciples like a pretty stupid question. I mean, hundreds of people milling around, and he wants to know who touched him. Come on, Jesus. Everybody was touching you. There were so many people crowded around Jesus. It could have been anyone. But what difference does it really make? I mean, a touch is a touch is a touch. But you know something? That's not really true. In the Gospels, there are three kinds of touches. First, there's the touch of hostility. That's the touch of the religious leaders when they beat him at his trial. I mean, there's the touch of curiosity and the touch of the crowd milling around. And third, there's the touch of faith. That's the touch of this poor woman. See, if the disciples couldn't tell the difference, no matter Jesus could, he knew that something had touched him in faith. He felt the faith in the passing brush of her fingers on his tassel. And please note that he did not ask the question for his own benefit. He knew beforehand who he, when he turned who had touched him. I mean, after all, he's the son of God. He asked not for his sake, but for her sake and for the sake of the crowd. He asked for her sake so that he could raise the level of her faith. If she went away without a further word, she might believe that there was magic power in his clothes. He wanted to assure her that her faith made the difference. He also wanted her to know that the healing would be permanent. And finally, he wanted to establish a personal relationship with her. And to do all of those things, she needed to identify herself to Jesus and the crowd. He also asked, who touched me for the sake of the crowd? So that Jairus would know what Jesus could do. So that the curious onlookers could see his power fully displayed. And perhaps most importantly, he wanted the crowd to know that he was not ashamed to be touched by the untouchable. This woman had taken a chance by touching Jesus. According to the law, her touch could make Jesus himself unclean. But because he was the Son of God, his power of healing overcame her uncleanness. But she did not know that when she touched him. What a crucial point this is. 
Our Lord Jesus was not ashamed to be touched by the untouchable, and he was not embarrassed to be publicly identified with the outcasts of this world. He was at home with publicans and sinners. He ate supper with gluttons and drunkards. He welcomed the prostitutes. He touched the lepers. And in this story, he's not ashamed to be touched by an unclean person. Not ashamed? Nope, not at all. Delighted, in fact, and glad to identify himself. I mean, delighted that she had the courage to reach out and glad that he could heal her. And he didn't care who knew about it. No, that's, that, that, that's not strong. He wanted the whole crowd to know what he had done. Now, why is this so important? I think it's because with our Lord, there are no untouchable people. In Jesus' eyes, everyone is touchable. I mean, thank God there are no hopeless cases with him. And friends, that is the direction we need to go in the future, being unashamed to identify ourselves with those those the world calls untouchable. I mean, what does it mean to be a Christian church, for example, if we only welcome the lovely or the clean or the pure or the safe? How can we even call ourselves Christ followers if we refuse to welcome people because they don't meet up to our standards of cleanliness? I mean, this is not how Jesus lived. He was not ashamed or embarrassed to eat with sinners, to embrace the shameful, to consort with the unclean, or to touch the untouchable. It didn't bother him that some people were bothered by his lifestyle. He just went ahead and loved everyone who came across his path. So let's not talk about walking where Jesus walked unless we're willing to do what he did and identify ourselves with the untouchables. But i got to warn you that it is easier to say these things than it is to do them. If you do what Jesus did, what happened to him? It'll probably happen to you. I mean, notice his words. Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Pretty strange words, but I think these strange words mean at least this much. Jesus was conscious of God's power flowing out of him into the body of this woman who touched his garment. Power that had been his passed from him to her. It resulted in her healing, but the power had to go out from him first. I mean, there's a universal truth here. If you follow Jesus and get involved with the needy people of this world, you will be conscious of power flowing out from your life as well. And by definition, those in need of the strength necessary to face the challenges of life. The only way they can get strength or power is from those who have more than they do. Ministering to such people means that power or strength or virtue is going to flow out of your life to theirs. It's going to cost you something that you will not easily replace the very strength of your own life. The question is often asked why, when Jesus was finally crucified, why did he die so quickly? I mean, the Romans assumed that when they crucified somebody, it would take 24 to 48 hours for that person to die. Jesus died after only six hours on the cross. Now, why is that? Was it not because he had spent his life giving himself for others, and when he finally came to an end, he had given and given and given and given, and from a human point of view, he had given all that he had? I mean, sometimes we say he died of a broken heart. Well, there is at least this much truth in that statement. When he died, he was exhausted from giving himself for others. Friends, if you follow Jesus, the same thing is going to happen to you. You give and give and the power will go out from you. you. You can help people, but it's going to cost you something. Not just time, not just energy, not just money, but perhaps even your very life. Strength goes out of you into the lives of the people you help. They'll grow stronger. You may grow weaker. And in the end, like Jesus, you too can be exhausted. You may not live as long as you'd like. But when you die, you have the satisfaction of knowing that you lived your life for others. 
and that the strength that has gone out from you has not been wasted on the trivial pursuits of this world. When Jesus asked who touched me, the woman knows he's talking about her. Luke says that she came trembling and fell at his feet. Then she publicly declared what Jesus had done for her and how she had been instantly healed. I imagine there was clapping and cheering all around and maybe drivers standing to the side and saying, well, that's all good. Come on, Jesus, my little girl needs you. But before they go on, Jesus looks at her and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Now, the word for daughter is kind of unusual here. It's the only time the Gospels record Jesus using this particular word. It is a term of affectionate endearment, something like little girl or, I mean, even sweetheart. Then he said, go in peace, or literally, go into peace, meaning go from this place and walk in good health. You are healed forever of your disease. Now, before we close this book on the story, we ought to focus on two enduring pictures that remain. They are images of Jesus and this woman that ought to encourage us along the way. First of all is the sensitivity of Jesus. He is and he was and always will be the most truly sensitive man to ever walk on the face of this earth. And he walked down a crowded street, hundreds of hands reached out to him, yet he felt the thin, sickly hand of faith. And he felt it. He felt her touch and he stopped. He turned. He spoke to her. Friends, all that touches you touches him. If it's pain, then he feels the pain. If it's sorrow, he feels the sorrow. If it's rejection, he feels the rejection. If it's loss, then he feels the loss. If it's failure, then he feels the failure. Whatever it is that hurts you, he feels it. If it touches you, it touches him. I think this is what the writer to the Hebrews meant when he said in chapter 4, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And thank God that that's true. And second is the power of feeble faith. In this poor woman, we see the amazing power, really limited faith. She didn't have a huge amount, and she had, was partially misdirected. But she had a mustard seed of faith that God moved the mountain of her illness. This story means that we don't have to agonize over the correct way to come to God. You don't have to worry about crossing all the T's or dotting all your I's. You don't have to know the Bible before you come to God. You don't even have to have a degree in theology. You don't even have to be a member of a church. Now, those things are all fine and dandy, but they're not the main thing. If you come to Jesus in simple faith, even though your faith may be as feeble as this woman's, he will not turn you away. How simple it is to come to Jesus. Only a touch, and this woman is healed. Not by her working, not by her promises to do better, not by any offer to do something for Jesus if he could do something for her. There were no deals. She reached out a trembling hand, and in an instant, she was healed. It was not even a long process. It happened so fast, it can only be called a miracle. Friends, that's what feeble faith can do. Coming to Jesus is not difficult. The hardest part is reaching out the hand of faith. If you want to touch Jesus, all you have to do is reach out to him. If you have the strength to stretch out that hand, his mighty power will flow into your life. Just a touch, and Jesus will enter your life. May it be true for all of us. Until the next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless.